All right, how are we doing this morning? How's everybody doing? Glad to be here? Yeah, you can be good. Hey, it's good. It's very uh, much better than last service. It was. It's much better. You guys got a little extra sleep, so it's okay to be happy to be in church. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're a part of this. My name's Aaron. This is Corey. We're two of the pastors here, and uh, we're doing things a little bit different today, as you can tell. We're going to be co-teaching this message, but before we get to that, I want to say welcome to all of you in this room. I also want to say welcome to those watching online. We got somebody watching from Norway. Can we welcome them from Norway, which is wild, so... You gotta love the internet, uh, but guys, we're glad that you're here and you're in this room. We got a lot of stuff to cover, and so I want to jump right in by asking you this question: Have you ever used something wrong? Like you, you know what its intended purpose was, but have you ever taken something and using it wrong? Because we're we're both from Kentucky, so this is a natural way of doing things. We call it redneck ingenuity, and so here's some a couple examples right here. I mean, why wouldn't you do that if your rearview mirror or your side mirror was broken? And then you got anybody's dad? Anybody would have a dad cut pizza with yeah saw? <laughs> with saw. Uh, how else would you warm up onion rings? That, that looks just dangerous makes sense to me. That it's, looks really dangerous. Just, right, it's your hot tub. Yeah. I would do that. I would do that. And then maybe some of you, uh, maybe some of you have used these letters wrong before. Any Kansas fans in the room? Any Kansas fans? Yeah, because these letters were always meant to be used That's the other way. Ready? Right, yeah. C A T S. Cats, cats, cats. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit just entered into the room, um, right there. And so, yeah, we're pumped. We're pumped. Hey, um, one of the main objectives of this series is to help to assure you that you're not using this book right here wrong. Because one of the things that we know, without a deeper understanding of this book, you will most certainly use it wrong. And so one of the things that we want to accomplish in this series is to help you to have a deeper understanding of God's Word. Now, one of the things that I think would be worth saying up front is this statement right right here. We are going to challenge some of the ways, maybe understandings that you've had of the Bible. We're going to challenge some of the ways that you potentially use the Bible. But let me be clear, we're not challenging the Bible. Depending on how you were raised, depending on you know, what faith brand that you grew up in, uh, you might have been taught some things that potentially could be wrong. Uh, you might have been taught some things that you're still unsure about. You might still have some doubts and questions about the Bible, all things that we hope to address within this entire series. But let me let, me let you know this now. Um, today, it's going to be kind of teasing some of, this ideas, some of these ideas and building a bigger foundation, a bigger conversation for, what we're going to, for what's going to transpire over the next six weeks. And so if you come away from today's message with, like, I don't, I'm not sure about that, then keep coming back because we're going to continue to bring clarity to this conversation. And let me reassure you, even though we're going to challenge different, different ways, different maybe beliefs that you've had on the Bible— Everything that we're going to challenge will be backed up on what's in the Bible. And so uh, let me begin probably with, I think this would be valuable for the sake of clarity. Let me, let me begin with kind of telling you where we are as a church, like what we believe as a church when it comes to God's word. We believe the entire Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe the entire Bible is true. We think everyone should study it for themselves. This is why one of the things that we talk about a lot around here is D1. It's our uh, most simplistic way that we know how to get you into God's Word, but to make it effective. And so if you're in a neighboring group, you know this is a big part of our, our neighboring group focus. But we also believe that the Bible, although equally inspired, is not equally applicable. And this is where you might want to sit up in your chair a little bit and like, well, what do they mean by that? And again, this is one of the things that will unfold with time. We also believe that a verse can never mean what it never meant. I think this is important. Let me take just a moment here. 
You see, what happens sometimes is when we read God's word, we read it and we read into God's word from our emotions or our feelings or maybe things that we've just understood differently in the past. In the Bible study, or I should say the Bible college world, this is called isogesis. When you read into God's word something that was never meant to be there. Exegesis is what we want to do. Exegesis is being a good student of God's word to pull from God's word what that actually meant, the, the context for what that actually meant. And so a verse can only mean what it ever meant, uh, what it intended uh, originally meant. I'll get it out. And so when the author sat down to write every single word um, in your English Bibles, when he, when, whoever the author was, whatever book you're reading, whatever um, purpose, whatever meaning he was writing down at that point in time is the only meaning that particular verse can have. And so as you can imagine, without a deeper understanding of God's word, we probably read it a lot and we take away from it things that were never intended to be taken away. This is why even for guys in our position, one of the things that we'll say from time to time is, hey, we would be arrogant to say we know exactly what this means. And we're okay is we're okay to say like, here's what I'm gonna suggest, here's what I think out of my study, here's what I think the Bible's saying in this particular area and on this particular subject, but sometimes we just simply don't know and we're okay with that. Now, the reason why I think this conversation and this series is going to be so crucial is because when used wrong, this book right here, friends, it's been used to justify war. It's been used to justify slavery, murder, the mistreatment of women, polygamy, and the list goes on and on. But when used correctly, guys, it brings freedom. It brings hope. It gives us a deeper understanding into God's love, his mercy, and his grace. When used correctly, this book is our guide to understanding salvation. Salvation that is only found in Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that we're going to do to help build the framework for our conversation today, but really this series, is we're going to look at the book of Galatians. And the reason this book fits so well into this conversation that we're having is because in the early church, there's some early followers of Jesus that are using portions of the Bible incorrectly. And because they're using portions of the Bible incorrectly, they're leading people to have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is, and more specifically, what he accomplished on their behalf. Yeah, so if you've got your Bibles, and hopefully you bring them every week when you're coming here, because we're going to be diving into them. Uh, but Galatians chapter 1, go ahead and turn them on, flip them open. Uh, Aaron, I'm, I'm super excited about this conversation, and obviously you're not as excited about it as I am, because you just left me, yes, but that's all right. Uh, now, I'm super excited about this conversation because of the, the many conversations we've had with each other, with our staff and some of our group leaders, um, and some of the revelations that have come from this conversation, the freedoms, uh, the ability to be able to have other conversations with other people in a way that's leading people to Jesus. And so we're going to be taking a look at, at Galatians to be able to have that conversation. Now, uh, I'm a big expectation person, so I want to just present this expectation correctly for you all. We're not going to be doing a verse-by-verse study through Galatians uh, on Sunday mornings. We don't have that time, nor do we feel like that's necessarily the most effective way to do that. Uh, but if you're in a neighboring group, we are going to be encouraging you guys to go chapter by chapter uh, through your D1s each week in your neighboring group. And your leaders are well aware of that. They're equipped to do it. Again, if you're not in a neighboring group, please get in the neighboring group. Even if it's just for this six weeks, it's going to be able to help you guys go deeper um, in conversations than we will be able to go on a Sunday morning. And so let's go ahead and flip it open to, uh, to chapter 1, verse 1. And we'll start right here. Paul an apostle, this is Paul kind of setting up his authority to, uh, to the church in Galatia. And he says this, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father uh, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches 
in Galatia. And so what we're going to be doing is, since we're not going to go verse by verse, we're actually going to be taking a look at kind of the letter itself to the Galatians and understanding why, like, why is Paul writing this letter in the first place? What's the problem? What's the issue? And in order for us to be able to get there, uh, some context would be helpful. And so what I want to do is I want to talk to you a little bit about the author, who's Paul, and a little bit about his audience, who's this, this church in Galatia. And that will give you a little bit more framework for what the problem is that's actually being addressed here in this particular letter that's being written. So many of you guys have already heard of Paul. You know him very well, but some of you guys don't. So let me give you just a, a quick backstory on Paul. Paul, was a, he's a really religious Jewish guy uh, who took his religion very seriously. So, so seriously, in fact, that when Christianity broke out in Jerusalem, he saw it as his God-ordained responsibility to go town to town, city to city, and to snuff it out. Like, that's what his job was. Based upon his understanding of the scriptures and the Jewish scriptures and who he thought Jesus was, his job as a follower of God was to go snuff out Christianity. But it just so happened that he was on his way to Damascus to do this very thing when he met the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. The very person who was responsible for Christianity, the very person that, that he thought was dead, all of a sudden he sees him alive. And you can imagine, like, that's got to be, like, a, a, you know, a life-altering situation. And it was for him. And from that very point, he went from being a persecutor of Christians to being a promoter of Jesus. And, and, and so much so that you can see at the end of Galatians chapter 1, he actually describes how other people had seen him. And it says this, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. This is what other people were saying about him. He was a changed man who had an interaction with Jesus that changed his approach to not only the scriptures, but how he saw God, which ultimately ended up changing the world. Yeah. This guy was an incredible, incredible man, and, he, and this is who we're talking about. Now, one of the things I think is actually important for us to note about Paul is that he wasn't one of the original 12 disciples who actually got to spend time with Jesus during his three years of ministry. He wasn't one of the guys that, that Jesus had rallied around him during those times. He, he, was, he was actually an add-on later on. So after Jesus is already dead, already resurrects, and then he calls Paul onto his team. Now, that doesn't make him any less of an apostle. Matter of fact, it just makes him a different one. He adds in and says, you are now an apostle, but I'm going to give you a specific goal. I'm going to give you a specific area that I want you to share my message with other people. And he sends him to the Gentiles. Uh, now, you're going to hear this Gentile and Jew conversation happen a lot in Galatians, so let me just give you kind of the brief distinction between that. Uh, a Gentile is basically anyone who's not a Jew. A Jew gets their heritage and their understanding from their ancestry of Abraham through the line of Isaac. Okay, A, a Gentile is anybody else that is not a part of that. Matter of fact, most of us would be considered Gentiles. And so Paul was actually an apostle to these Gentile people, non-Jewish people, and he went all over this Roman province, all over the Roman region, to start sharing the message of Jesus with all of these people. And, and, and along the way, he made many converts, and he set up churches in these particular regions. And, and so you could say Paul was the original church planter. Uh, he was doing the very same thing that we're doing today, wanting to plant churches so that we can let other people know about Jesus. And so, so here we have Paul setting up churches, but he, he leaves that area, and so now he's writing back, and in this case, he's writing back to the churches that were in Galatia. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Galatia, all right, so you have an idea behind this. Galatia was a Roman province in Asia Minor. What we know today is, is, is like modern-day Turkey, and so it wasn't like an individual city. It wasn't like maybe one church. It was probably a collective group of churches that he's writing to in this region of Galatia. Now, this would have been one of the first places that Paul had gone when he left Jerusalem, and he went to these Roman realms, and so he went to these regions, and he shared the message of Jesus, this good news, and it was well-received by this particular region. He set up many churches in this particular region. 
But then he left to go, to go share that good news and start churches in other places. And as he did this, he started to hear reports that there were people, he calls them agitators. They were coming into this region, and they were actually sharing a message that was a different message than what he brought. It was a gospel that was no gospel at all. What happened was that some of the Jews that had actually come to follow Jesus, they're actually Jewish Christians, they're people who would say they put their faith in Jesus, they started to come up into the region and they started to tell these new Gentile converts that salvation was through Jesus and the law of Moses, Christ and circumcision. They started putting ands on top of what Jesus had to offer. Now, you can imagine when Paul gets this report, he's unhappy about this. This is not a good thing at all. He lived that life. He was a Jew, a very religious guy. He understood the law. He understood all that stuff. And he realized that Jesus is offering something completely new. And so what he does is he writes a letter back to these guys, and he tries to express, guys, don't go back to what you used to be under. What Christ has to offer is something completely new. Yeah. That sounds like an insult to like you're such you're such a gentile. <laughs> you're such you're, a that gentile. was such a gentile thing to do. Yeah, maybe we should start using. We should that. start using that. Anybody who's like not a Kentucky fan, you're, you're such, such a, a gentile. gentile. Yes, yeah. that's a, that was amazing. That moment we just had right there. Okay, hey, a major point of contention for the early Jewish followers was the law of Moses. Like, what do we do with the law of Moses? And it, like, I want us to like lean into the tension here because this was two thousand plus years of history. Uh, more, more than that, thousands of years of history where these Jewish people, they knew nothing other than the law of Moses, these commandments that were given. And if you remember, if you know your Bible, maybe you're new to the church, but uh, God saved the Israelites from Pharaoh and he had this mass exodus from Egypt. And then they get to Mount Sinai and Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and comes down with you know the Ten Commandments. But one of the things you might not know is there were actually a lot more than just Ten Commandments. There were 613 commandments that they had to follow, but we know the Ten Commandments kind of as the top ten. It was sometimes referred to as the, the moral law, and so this is all the Jews ever knew, and so based on this being a part of their heritage, it's like, what do we do with the law of Moses, because this is all we've ever known, and to give you a quick, and I, this is quick, and I apologize for those of you new to the church, if you ever want deeper understanding into some of the things that I'm getting ready to say, we're always more than welcome to sit down with you and, and get into the scriptures and help you to understand this more deeply, because when you fail to have a deeper understanding of God's word, you will most certainly use it wrong, and so this is a big deal to us. But one of the ways that kind of the Israelites and the Jewish people would have operated with God is if you obey God, then he'll bless you, but if you disobey God, then you were punished. Under the law of Moses, when a commandment was broken, you had to make yourself right with God again because breaking a commandment broke your vow with God. And so they had to go through this sacrificial system, kind of this ritual sacrificial system where they would sacrifice a lamb or a goat. And the sacrificing of the, whatever the animal was, that blood represented the, like, the most precious sacrifice you could give because blood is the essence of life, right? I mean, blood is what gives us life. So that is the best sacrifice that could be given. And so they would go through this sacrificial system. Let me show you what the author of Hebrews says when it comes to the importance of blood in this whole process. He says, in fact, or he or she, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. In fact, according to the law of Moses, neither, uh, nearly everything, everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, don't miss this, there is no forgiveness. Now, the fact that we live underneath a different covenant means we aren't required to obey the Ten Commandments. We're not underneath the Ten Commandments as the Israelites and the Jewish people would have been. But that doesn't mean they're still not significant in our life. And maybe that's the first time you've ever heard this. What do you mean we're not under the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments. Well, if we were underneath them the way the Jewish people were, if we were underneath them the way that the Israelites were, that means we would have to obey them in order to have a relationship with God. 
That's where our relationship comes from because that perfect law, the Ten Commandments, were considered perfection. If you do these perfectly, which no one can ever do, if you do these perfectly, then you're okay with God. When you break one, then you go through the sacrificial system. And so instead of us now being underneath the Ten Commandments, because of what Jesus has done for us, now the Ten Commandments are kind of coming alongside of us. In other words, they still point, they're still very significant, they're very important, and one of the main um, objective may not be the right word, maybe one, one of the most um, highest levels of significance the Ten Commandments bring to us today is the fact that they point out what sin is. Let me show you what John says in 1 John chapter 3. He says, everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. So what Jesus did is he came into this world to fulfill what it meant to, to, to live out the Ten Commandments. No one could ever do that. No one had ever done that up until Jesus. In order to live perfectly and have a relationship with God, you had to live out the Ten Commandments perfectly. You mess up, you go through the sacrificial system. And again, Paul points this out, how nobody, everybody's fallen short of the glory of God in Romans chapter 3. But now apart from the law, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned. Everybody say all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what has to happen? If there's no way that we can complete this perfect law, it's the standard. And again, when Jesus came on scene, he even heightened the standard from the Ten Commandments. He said, hey, it's not even if you commit murder. If you have anger in your heart towards someone, it's as if you've already committed murder in your heart. If you have lust for another woman, it's as if you've already committed adultery. So he sets the bar extremely high to pretty much show us you cannot fulfill this on your own. You cannot fulfill that. You'll never be able to meet the standard that God requires, which means, listen to me, this is so huge which means there has to be a perfect blood sacrifice. And the only way that there can be a perfect blood sacrifice is for a human being to live out the law perfectly without any hint of sin and then give up his own blood so that our sins could be forgiven forever. And this is exactly what Jesus did for us. Many of you have heard him described as the sacrificial lamb. He came to fulfill the requirement of the law. He says this himself in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He says, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses. In other words, I didn't come to say that there's, no, there's absolutely nothing good from this any longer. There's, there's absolutely no, no significance to it any longer. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to, don't miss it, accomplish. I came to accomplish their purpose. What was their purpose? Their purpose was to point us to sin. Their pur purpose was to point us to the fact that we needed a perfect sacrifice, a Messiah, a Savior to come, live that perfect life, fulfill the requirement of the law, and then give up his very life so that you and I could have it. Here's what Paul says when he's writing to the Roman church. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. So what does that mean for us today? It means you're not required to follow the old covenant. Now, again, depending on what kind of church you grew up in, you might, whoa, 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 that means I'm not supposed to, you know, not, not supposed to follow certain parts of the Bible. You are not required to follow the old covenant. Does that mean that, that, that it's not significant? Absolutely not. Does it mean it's not inspired by God? Absolutely not. Does it mean that it's not true? Absolutely not. Does it mean it's not valuable? Absolutely not. It simply means that Christ fulfilled what was required of people before he gave up his perfect life and sacrificed his life on a cross 
for our sins. And that brings us back to our letter in Galatia. Let me show you what Paul says to the people in Galatia. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, think about this, this is Paul coming, moving from kind of the Jewish mindset into the new covenant of grace. He says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness, don't miss this, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. I can almost see Paul doing a mic drop at that moment, right? Yeah, Christ yeah, died good. for nothing. You know, this passage, Aaron, uh, is, is one of the most impactful uh, passages that I've ever read and, and uh, put to memory because it means so much to me. Uh, but I, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That is a profound statement. It is a big thing. The sandwich right in between this, this whole, uh, you know, law conversation, understanding that this is something that separates people that are following Jesus from everybody else yeah. uh, who walks this earth. And, and I, I was actually having this conversation with my, my son last week. I was sharing this verse with him because uh, he's six years old. He's, he's come to me several times and said, Dad, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be baptized. And, and, uh, and so I've, I've turned him down actually three times um, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good father. No, I'm a horrible father. Yeah, is that what you're saying? Okay, um, I am. And so uh, anyway, I've, I've, I've said no three times. And this last time he's like, Dad, I just want to follow Jesus, man. And so I'm like, all right, let's sit down and have a conversation because getting baptized is a lot more than getting wet and going to heaven. Following Jesus means like you literally are laying your, your life down. It means you're literally saying, God, I, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And talking to a six-year-old, you could see him just kind of processing through, and they're like, this is a hard thing for a six-year-old to be able to comprehend mm -hmm. for him to get. It's a hard thing for us to be able to comprehend and to get because grace is something that just doesn't come naturally in our mind. We don't, we don't understand this. We don't see this. It's a hard saying to be able to understand. And I think that that's exactly what Paul knew as he's talking to uh, these, these Galatians. And they're being faced with two sides of the equation. They're being faced with not only the difficulty of understanding uh, the grace of Jesus Christ, but also the difficulty of being able to let go of what was old, of what our approach used to be, about how our understanding of God used to come to us. And, and we see him talk about this because in, in verse 10 in, in chapter 1, he, he kind of out of nowhere makes this statement. He says, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Uh, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, what he's saying is, guys, I know that what I'm about to tell you, what I'm going to talk to you guys about is going to be hard for you to hear. It's going to be difficult. Matter of fact, you might even be mad at me because I'm talking to you about this, but it is worth it and it is necessary because what's being preached to you right now these Jewish Christians who are coming up to talk to you about these things, this Jesus and thing, guys, it is not good news at all. It is not the good news that I preach. And so I need, to, I need to be able to have a conversation with you. Now, here's the deal. This conversation that we're having with you today, as well as over the next several weeks, um, hopefully you guys come back and we'll dive into this, these topics a lot deeper. Um, but it's going to be difficult for some of us. And it's going to be difficult because anytime we have like our foundation of how we see things or how we approach things challenged, it automatically causes us to have some kind of emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. Now, for some of us, that emotional reaction is going to be like a burden lifted. It's going to, it's going to feel like freedom. But for others of us, it's, it's going to be with our arms crossed and we're back going, I'm not sure about all this and I don't know how to receive this. And, and I understand that feeling because when I first started having these conversations and started realizing this, started recognizing this, that was my posture. 
That was how I kind of received this. And I didn't know exactly how to do it because growing up in the church, I always thought I had to do things in order to earn my salvation. But I remember the first time I really came to understand grace. And man, it changed the way I looked at life forever. And so if you happen to be in that posture of arms crossed, can I ask that you would just lean in today and maybe over the next couple weeks and listen to this because it's a necessary conversation. This conversation was worth it for Paul to engage the Galatians in. And it's worth it for us today because because people are being pulled away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, in part because of what else the Bible says. The Bible itself is not a bad thing, but understand it it has this effect. On, On one side, it causes people to be stifled as a matter of fact, I was talking to some, some people this past week, and they were sharing their story with me. One of the coolest things about being a pastor is I get to hear everybody's stories and how, how, how God has intersected their life. And as I'm sitting down and I'm talking to them, they were sharing and recounting uh, how they used to be a part of a church, and it was actually a, a cult, uh, but they actually practiced the entirety of the Bible, which means that they actually were, were bound not only to Jesus, but also to the, to the Old Testament laws, uh, laws of, of giving and, and keeping of Sabbath and all these other things. And they were talking about how burdensome that was, but how they didn't see anything else until all of a sudden they had an experience. And you should have seen their eyes light up when they shared the experience of being able to understand the grace of Jesus for the first time. This burden was lifted, and all of a sudden all the rules and regulations that they were living by because they had to became something they got to do because they get to. Yeah. Out of gratitude of their heart, and you just see it just it rise off. And that's exactly what Paul was writing to these guys about. It's like, guys, don't go back. Don't let that be a burden. Let it be a blessing. But on the other end of the spectrum, and I, I work with a lot of students, but I also have a, a person that's really dear to my life, and, and he would say this. He, he would hold up the Bible, and he would say, if, if you're asking me to believe all of this before I can get to Jesus, then I'm out. You see, for him, being able to, uh, to hold to all of this, the Bible, and, and understand all of it or to submit to all of it, for him, it is, is not an option for him to get to Jesus. And therefore, the Bible itself has become a stumbling block to get people to Jesus. We've got to reevaluate this. Yeah. That was good. Can we give Corey a tasty thought there? Mm. Mm. Or no, not a clap. Not a clap. It's a tasty thought. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Mm, there you go. That's good. That was good. I'm kind of hungry now, actually. Mm. Hey, uh, can, I just, can I just have a conversation with you guys? Can, can I, just, I just want to talk with you. Can I just talk with you? Is I don't feel the love. Can I, can I just have a conversation? Is this okay? I mean, um, this has been a journey uh, for me. I hold God's word to a very high um, standard. And, and again, to make sure you guys aren't hearing anything that we're not saying, we haven't changed our view on the Bible or there's nothing like that. But one of the things that's happened, and I would say with the addition of the internet, something that has changed the conversation is where before you'd come to a church and you'd talk with a pastor or somebody and they would kind of help you to navigate the Bible, Today you can go home and you can, you can literally Google really quick. It'll take you 10 seconds. Crazy verses in the Bible. Most likely you're going to get some stuff out of the Old Covenant. And they're crazy. Um, things that if you don't have any context for what's being written, you're like, if that's, if that's Christianity, like, uh, I don't, you don't even talk to me about anything else. I'm out. Like, I'm out. And so that, that's forced me to reevaluate my approach with people because, guys, if there's anything that I'm doing, and I think I could speak for Corey and myself, if, there, if there's anything that we're doing that's causing an unnecessary stumbling block to people getting to Jesus, 
Like we gotta come back to the, we gotta come back to the table and we gotta talk about this because I don't wanna do anything that's causing people to unnecessarily walk away from Jesus. And so this is where this conversation took on a new tone for me. In the early church, they didn't have, you know, Corey's going to be teaching us next week. I'm going to stand up. He, they, they were betting me if I could stay seated. I, there's the whole no time. way. It's it wasn't going to happen. happen. As soon as you put the stand to the side, it was done. Like, I yeah. knew you were getting up. Um, so, in the early church, um, they didn't have the Bible yet. Corey's going to talk to us next week about how the Bible actually got compiled, how we ended up with the entire text in our hands. And you are, if you're new to the church, well, if you hear us say the word text, that's referring to the Bible. And so one of the things that they didn't have to do, these early believers, and this is kind of what we can extrapolate from Galatians, is the early believers didn't have to believe in the Old Covenant to become a follower of Jesus. For the Gentiles that were coming to Jesus, all they were hearing about is that I know Tom or Joe or Peter or James, and they told me that they actually saw Jesus come back to life. And if he came back to life, that means he wasn't a lunatic. If he walked out of that tomb, that means he's Lord. And if he's Lord then that means he's the Messiah, and that means he can actually save me from my sins, everything that he said he could do, which means that changes everything, and so I'm in. What they didn't have to do is take, you know, if I have a Bible in my hands, in my hand, they didn't have to go through the entire Bible before they got to Jesus. And so are we potentially making an unnecessary obstacle to tell people, no, you gotta, go, you gotta get through the whole Bible, you gotta believe the whole Bible before we get you to Jesus. Does that mean we're dismissing it? Absolutely not, but here's what I'm learning to do. And I'm just talking with you. I'm just having a conversation with you. I've learned that if the early church, if it wasn't a requirement for the early church, and here's something interesting to note, the most explosive growth that we've ever seen in Christian church history is in the first 120 years of the church when they didn't have the Bible. Does that mean we shouldn't use the Bible? Absolutely not. Does it mean it's not important? Absolutely not. The text, the Bible, is what points us to those eyewitness accounts. Even points us back to the old covenant and the need, that, the need for a Savior to come because we were underneath this law that was impossible to accomplish on our own. The Bible points us back to the, that there's only grace and there's only salvation found in Jesus. But for the early church, all they had was eyewitness accounts of the resurrection. And if the resurrection happened, man, I'm in. I'm in. So what if we started there? What if we started there? What if we kind of remove some of the noise? And that doesn't mean we remove the Bible at all. Here's, here's what I'm learning to do. Hey, if your issue is with the Bible, let's set it aside. Don't miss this for now. Let's set it aside for now and let's talk about, do you believe the eyewitness accounts? Because there's a lot, even outside of the Bible, there's eyewitness accounts in Christian literature, guys like Josephus and Tacitus, who say that there were eyewitness accounts that Jesus walked out of that tomb and many people, hundreds of people, saw the resurrected Lord. And if that's true, that changes everything. So what if we just hinged our faith? What if we hinged our conversations with the resurrection of Jesus. And we can bring the conversation about the entire Bible in later. I'm pretty sure that's how the early church did it. And I'm pretty sure this was the thing that Paul had to consistently wrestle with, even with the early Jewish followers in Galatia. And even in the book of Acts, and I'll close with this verse, he gets to a point to where there's a lot of dispute, and there's been a lot of conversation, and there's been a lot of argument over, so what do we do? What do we do with these new Gentiles, because this has always been for Israelites in the past. This has always been for Jewish people. Now Gentiles, anybody, you're such a Gentile. Now anybody can come to faith in God through Jesus. And so Paul finally, after hearing a lot of conversations, after hearing all the noise and people bringing religion to the table and bringing the, the laws back and the rules and regulations, and he says this, guys, it's my judgment. It's my judgment that we should not make it difficult 
for the Gentiles who are turning to God. May that be our mantra. Let me pray for us. Father, I know this is a sensitive conversation, and I'm sure that there's things that we probably could have communicated better than we did today. But God, ultimately, what we, what we don't ever want to do, I think everybody would be in agreement here, that we would never want to put an unnecessary obstacle in front of people to get them to your son, Jesus. And so if that means setting aside your word, even though we're really going to be talking about your word, because talking about the resurrection is still talking about your word, but if, if the Bible and whatever people think the Bible is, because a lot of people think it's something that it really isn't, but if just setting that aside and having them focus on the resurrection would remove a potential obstacle on the front end of things, help us to navigate that well, because by no means do we ever want to dismiss the importance of your word. God, it has the ability to transform lives when used correctly. And so, Father, I pray you just continue to help all of us to navigate this conversation well, to navigate what we're, what we're talking about well, and as people are released and they're going to be going into their neighboring groups this week, that there will be healthy dialogue, healthy conversations, healthy questions that are being asked so that we can come to more clarity on what the essential is. God, I believe it's the resurrection of your son, Jesus. We love you. Continue to help us. We pray this in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen.